I want to I want to look primarily at a scripture uh, of an individual in the scripture that we call a patriarch. And a patriarch is just one of the fathers in the faith. The patriarchs are known as Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So Abraham being the father of our faith, the scripture says, because of a con- uh, because of a covenant that God initiates with Abraham, they're going to read in a moment. Um, and it's ultimately fulfilled in Jesus, and we are the beneficiaries of today that God is faithful to his covenant promises. Um, but when we trace back our lineage of faith, we go all the way back to Abraham. But when God encountered Abraham to initiate this promise that was going to ultimately be realized and fulfilled in the person of Jesus, it was really a continuation from the very act of creation. And if you look in the very first chapter of Genesis, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 27 and 28, it shows a sequence of events that God created mankind in his own image, the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. And then God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply. So the very act of creation is significant in how God made man and woman. But then the very first act of God in regards to his creation is he blessed them. So the very first thing that God does after he makes man and woman in his image is he blesses them. And that is very significant that God would bless us at the onset, that that is, that is who God is. He's a God who blesses. And the idea of blessing in the scripture, and especially as we see it in the Old Testament, is a profound um, act of bestowing on somebody an identity. It's, it's, it's God's way of saying, I bless you. And in that blessing, he tells us who we are. This is who you are. Our identity is received from God. It's not achieved. It's not personally decided. God tells us who we are because he's our creator. He made us. But then out of that identity flows a sense of destiny or a purpose. So this is who you are. I bless you and I bestow upon you a sense of identity. But then out of that identity flows a purpose. And so now go f- be fruitful and multiply and partner with me in co-creating. And that he sends them forth out of this established sense of relationship, that we know who we are in relationship to God. And by virtue of that, we know what we're called to do. So a lot of people try to do something to discover who they are instead of doing flowing out a sense of being that God establishes us. So that's, it's kind of like that's the first human memory. If you trace it all the way back, our earliest human memory is God blessed us. He made us and he blessed us. So after Adam and Eve were created, blessed, they made some poor decisions, sin comes into the story, disobedience, um, violence, wickedness becomes part of the human story. And then it leads us up to chapter 12, where God in Genesis meets with this man named Abram, and he initiates a covenant with this person. And if, if Abram would in faith believe God, there would be the fulfillment of something that God is determined to do. But it's a continuation of the desire to bless. And so if you look in Genesis 12, 1, it says, the Lord said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land that I will show you. And I will make you into a great nation. Now listen to this. And I will bless you. And I will make your name great and you will be a blessing and I will bless those who bless you. And whoever curses you, I will curse, and all the people of the earth will be blessed through you. So even though there's violence, wickedness, judgment of sin on the earth, God has not moved away from who he is. 
And so he, he takes the first step. He initiates the next move in response to the sin and the violence and the wickedness that comes as a result of Adam and Eve's disobedience, God still is committed to blessing. So he comes to Abram and he says, I'm going to bless you. This is who you are, Abram. And if you'll obey me and follow me and trust me, then I will do something through you to fulfill this eternal purpose that God had from the foundations of the earth. And so God's intention is to bless. So if you say, well, what is ultimately a blessing. A blessing is God giving power to somebody or something to do which they are designed or intended to do. So my question is this, do you believe that God blesses you? Do you, do you think that God still is in the business of blessing today? Do you think God has withdrawn or just recused that part of who he is. And so the question that I have for you is the same question that the patriarchs had, is when you think the blessing is under threat, what will you do? Will you trust God with it or will you take matters into your own hands? So that's gonna be true of Abram, it's gonna be true of Isaac, and it's certainly gonna be true of Jacob as a story that we want to look at. And so in Genesis chapter 25, I want us to look at the story. It's kind of a crazy beginning story. And we're going to kind of run through a couple of high points in the story of Jacob to bring us to this point of focus of how do we walk in and receive the blessing. And this is kind of a crazy story. And let me just give you a quick backdrop. Remember, God says to Abram, this is going to be a, a generational blessing. This is going to go from you to your children, to your children's children, and to your children's 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 children, to the point where someday you're going to have so many offspring, there's going to be such a lineage from you that we won't even be able to count it. And so there's a promise that's rooted in two things that God says, I'm going to bless you with a child and I'm going to bless you with a land. And so Abram and Sarah are old, they can't have kids, and they had to come to this place of believing God for the promise, and God does something miraculous, and they have a son named Isaac. And could you imagine Isaac? He knows the story. God showed up to my dad, said there's going to be a promise. He's going to have a kid, and then his kid's going to have a kid. And so he gets married to a woman named Rebecca, but they can't have kids. They're unable to get pregnant. And so now it feels like the, the blessing's now stalled. It's like, how's this going to happen? Because we can't have offspring. We can't have children. And so Isaac prays and God answers the prayer and his wife gets pregnant. So if you look in verse 19 of Genesis 25, where we pick up the story. So this is the account of the family line of Abraham's son, Isaac. And Abraham became the father of Isaac. And Isaac was 40 years old when he married Rebekah, daughter of Bethuel, the Aramean from Padan Aram, sister of Laban, the Aramean. Now I'm just saying those names with real confidence and pronouncing them with authority and you'll probably go, oh, that's how you say those things. And it's like, I don't know. I, I mean, I looked them up, but who knows? Um, we'll probably get to heaven and find out we've been butchering their names all along. So it's like, Mav and Job coming up. It was Job. It was Job. My name is Job. You, you got it wrong the whole time. But in verse 21, Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was childless. And the Lord answered his prayer and his wife, Rebecca, became pregnant. Now listen to this. And the babies jostled each other within her. That, that just sounds kind of like, oh, feel it. It's, the babies are moving. Literally in Hebrew, it means that she was being crushed on the inside. Like this was agony. This was painful. It was almost like this violent thing going on inside of her. 
And so she prayed, why is this happening to me? And the Lord said to her, there are two nations in your womb. Two peoples from within you will be separated and one will be stronger than the other and the older will serve the younger. Now, see the sequence there because the, the inheritance or the, the birthright or the blessing would be passed from the father to the firstborn. And God's going to invert that now and he's saying, I am prophetically declaring something that will take place that the older will serve the younger, that the younger will be the one to get the blessing. That's not how things are done. But God's saying, I'm going to make this happen. That's a prophetic word spoken over Jacob in the womb before he's even born. And the challenge is, can I believe that somehow God can orchestrate all of that to happen? Or do I somehow have to take matters into my own hands to make that? That, that sense of destiny, that sense of purpose that God has from the very beginning. So basically what God says to Rebecca is, you think this is tough? You think this is hard? You just wait. They're going to come out of the womb fighting. And this is going to mark their whole lives. So how would you like that to be your baby dedication? Those twins, they hate each other. And they're going to break your heart. They're going to fight each other the whole life. And so if you look at verse 24, it says, when the time came for her to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb and the first came out It was red, and his whole body was like a hairy garment. And Jacob said, we have an orangutan. Um, So they named him Esau, which means red hairy, hairy red guy. So like, what should we call him? How about he's hairy and red? We'll just call him red hairy guy. Um, Pretty literal. And after this, his brother came out with his hand grasping at Esau's heel. So he was named Jacob or Jachav or Yaakov. If you go to Israel, this is a common name and that's kind of how they pronounce it. But the idea is within, within the name Jacob is the word heel. And so another literal kind of way of identifying the circumstances of the birth. So here's the picture. Here comes red hairy guy. And no, no sooner does his foot, the last part of his body, come out of the wound and this hand shoots up, grabbing at it, just grabbing at it. And so they name him Jacob, which literally means grasping at the heel of. Like he's the one who's grabbing at the heel. Later it would go on to denote like deception or or supplanting, if you will, against another trickery or kind of being a little bit of a a manipulator. But the literal, the imagery is he just, the first thing we see outside of the womb of this guy is that he's grasping. I'm striving. Like, I'm going to get there. I have to do this. This is up to me. It's almost like from the very beginning and Isaac was 60 years, old, 60 years old when Rebecca gave birth to them. And names were so powerful in that day because they, they really did have a way of shaping somebody's destiny, kind of like determining their identity and the future of their life. And so Esau was named for how he looked. Jacob was named for how he acted. Isn't that how people tend to label us today? This is what you look like. This is who you are. This is what you've done. This is who you are. 
And so we kind of come into this world with these labels put on them and people saying, well, we are limiting you by what we know about you. And oftentimes the things that we know about somebody outwardly are the least revelatory things about who they are as a person. But we, we thought that's, you're always this. This is what you are. And we freeze frame people in that moment or in that behavior or in that particular <clears throat> impression. And so Jacob grows up hearing about this blessing, this blessing that's going to be passed generationally. And so he comes out of the womb saying, I'm already behind. I'm already kind of um, uh, at a disadvantage. I, I don't have the benefit of having gotten out of the womb first. And so now my brother is my dad's favorite. My brother is the one that's going to get it all. My brother is the one that's getting the opportunities. And so <clears throat> Jacob's story is a little like a lot of people's story today, a lot of us in this room. We come out of the womb grasping, saying, who's going to bless me? Who am I? What does my life stand for? What is my life supposed to be about? And who's, who's going to confer upon me the, the blessing? And so we are a culture that's obsessed with like the Enneagram and who are you? And I have people, I had a little lady come up to me once after I was done preaching and she goes, you are such a nine. And they're like, ooh. It's like, I don't know what that means. Is that good or bad? You know, it's like, well, you're a nine. You're a nine on the Enneagram. I'm like, all right. Um, didn't know that today, but now I know. Um, I'm not, not belittling the Enneagram. It's just like, I was so like, I don't know. I didn't know that, but I'll take your, your word. I just didn't know. But it's like, this is what you are. You're a nine. So I go and I look up at what a nine is. And I was very underwhelmed. It's like, really? That's what I am? Like, that, it's like, is that what I got to be now? That? Yeah, I didn't know I was that. Um, we get obsessed with our ancestry and we take our DNA tests and I find out I've got a little, uh, I've got a little uh, Mongolian in me that I didn't know. Uh, you know, it's like you start tracing this, this obsession. It's like, well, who am I? What is my life supposed to be about and who gets to, de to decide that? Does culture, does my family of origin, do what other people determine about me decide that? But Jacob grew up and his identity became this. His identity is, I'm not Esau. And he lived his life in comparison to his brother. I'm not Esau. If you fast forward the story to chapter 27, we're getting to the end of Isaac's life. Isaac is now going to lay hands on his son Esau and confer the blessing. And so he tells his son, go out into the field and hunt the game and fix the meal that I like and the way, food the way I like it. He, the scripture says he, he made the food in the savory way that his father liked it. And so Esau goes off to hunt to prepare the meal. And Rebekah gets Jacob aside and says, listen, we've got to act fast. Your, your dad's going to bless. We got to get the blessing. And so she says, put on these clothes. They're your brother's clothes. Let's put some sheepskin on your arms so that you can feel hairy to your father because his eyes aren't very good and he'll have to touch you and wonder if you're his son. 
And if you look in verse 15, it says, Rebekah took the best clothes of Esau, her older son, which she had in the house, and put them on her younger son, Jacob. She covered his hands and the smooth part of his neck with goat skins, and she handed her son, Jacob, the tasty food and the bread she made. And he went to his father and said, my father. Yes, my son, he answered. Who is it? Jacob said to his father, listen to this, I am Esau. I'm your firstborn. I'm Esau. What's your name? My name's Esau. He was pretending to be somebody he wasn't in order to receive something in his own strength, what he thought he deserved. And so in his grasping and his conniving and his reaching, he ended up becoming somebody who he wasn't. And he began to live a lie. And in his lie, he was deceiving other people. And so later, his brother comes to him and he says, Father, I've prepared the food that you want. And he said, but your, your brother came in and took the blessing, deceitfully took the blessing. And Esau said in verse 36, isn't he rightly named Jacob? He's acting just like his name. That's what he does. That's who he's always been. And that's what he does. He comes in and he steals and he tricks and he manipulates. He's taken my blessing and he says, is there any left for me? I want you to see something in this story because you can look at it and see it in other places in scripture. That God cannot bless who you pretend to be. He can only bless who you truly are made to be and called to be. And one of the places of freedom that we come to is a surrender of our false identities, whether put on us by others or we put upon ourselves, that we come with the sense of repentance is to turn back to the one who made us. And so when we come to the scripture, we realize that God cannot bless who I'm not. He can only bless who I am. When my wife and I pastored the last church we were at for 18 years, we were asked to take a a very large church following a very loved, iconic leader. I mean, he's part of the, we said he was lovingly part of the Trinity. There was the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and Pastor Ron. He was like esteemed so highly in that category. And he, a published author, church of 8,000 people, globally kind of had this opportunity and influence. And, and then there's me. I'm following him. And he passed away from a battle with leukemia. I'm coming to my first Sunday, and I'm in the back getting ready to go to the first service. And I'm just like, what am I? I'm following Ron Mal. And this lady on the staff came up, and she's one of those old wise seasoned prayer warriors. And she had a pair of shoes in her hand. And she comes up to me like a, like in the prophets in the old Testament that had kind of an illustrated prophetic word. And she comes up, she holds the shoes in front of me. And she said, God said to tell you that pastor Ron took his shoes with him. <laughs> like you can't walk in his shoes. You can't be him. And it was so liberating in that moment. And I looked at my wife and I said, the only way I can serve this church is I can't be a cheap imitation of Pastor Ron. I have to be an authentic version of me. And she said, yes, as disappointing as that may be to people. (laughs) And uh, (laughs) that the only way I can truly be blessed is if I'm secure in who I am. 
Remember when Jesus said to Peter, restoring him after his failure, and it's after the resurrection, and they're on the beach having breakfast, and Jesus is restoring Peter, and then finally says to Peter, Peter, you denied me before, but you won't deny me again. As a matter of fact, when you're old, somebody is going to take you by the arm, and they're going to lead you to a death. You don't even want to die, but you're not going to deny me. You will lay down your life for me. How do you think Peter would respond in that redemptive moment? Like, I blew it there, but I'm not going to blow it again. He looked and he saw John and he said, well, what about him? <laughs> because if I'm going to die, is he going to die? Like, like, I mean, he, it should be gruesome. You know, like, uh, is he like, and, and Jesus said, literally, Jesus said, what is it to you what I do with John? That's none of your concern. It's like Jesus had no toleration for comparison. Like he didn't coddle his little like, that's none of your business. If I want John to live forever, John can live forever. Peter, this is what I've called you to be. This is what I've called you to do. Whenever we live in our lives of comparing ourselves to one another, there's a seed of resentment that gets lodged in our heart towards God. Like somehow God has not been fair with me. God has not given me the same grace. God has not treated me just, God has been, because he almost seems like he favors that person over another person. And that's why I want to encourage you in this Thanksgiving season. And it's not egotistical. We live in a very narcissistic, self-indulgent kind of preoccupation of self kind of culture. And Jesus interrupts our hyper-focus on our own self and elevates our gaze. And we began to worship Jesus and, and recognize who we are and the life we've been given in him as a new creation. And that's beautiful. But there's, a, there's, there's a, something I just want to say that it's okay to do. It's okay to rejoice in God as your maker and Jesus as the redeemer of what God has made. And you can become secure in who you are. And you can say like the psalmist says, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. And you can lift your head, not in pride and arrogance, but in security that God's creative genius, you are his workmanship, that he made you unique to his kingdom purposes in your life. And the only way God can bless you is by you being secure in who he made you to be and free yourself from the comparison to other people because God can bless you and take care of others at the same time. I can rejoice in the God who made me and I can rejoice in God's blessings in you, even if it seems like they far exceed God's blessings in my life. I'm not envious. I'm not jealous. The scripture says where there's envy and jealousy, there's every other evil work present. It's like we open the door to the enemy. One of the things I love about your pastor, and I'm not just trying to, I didn't come here. He doesn't have me come so I can like, you know, pat him on the back. Yeah, <laughs> I called him a strange cat. Yeah, so that's all right. Uh, is he's just kind of secure in who he is. I love that about him. And he's very secure in who this church has been called to be. You're not trying to be like another church. You're not greater than or lesser than. You're just, we need Northwest Church to be Northwest Church. Because there's an anointing here. There's a blessing of God here. Be you. Be who we called you to be. That's where your greatest potential lay, uh, is, is uh, going to be found. And so one of the things 
that is going to be the most frustrating and failing in our life is when we try to be someone we're not and we try to change the unchangeable. God knows who he made you to be. When my boys were little, we did the Build-A-Bear thing like a lot of kids do. It's a brilliant marketing plan. You go into the store, they take a hose, they hook it right up to your wallet and suck all your money right out of it. Just like... But the reason why that is such a important, like the kids, they love it is because it was like, they come out the door with this thing they made and they named it and they know what it is. So this is, we go to Build-A-Bear and my son comes out as a dog, with a dog um, and he named the dog Mickey and Mickey was a hockey player and he was the creator and he told the dog who he was, you're Mickey and you are a hockey player. That's like, there's something just like, and I, I know it's a, it's a stupid illustration. I said, I probably might not make it to the next service, but it's like, <laughs> but imagine Mickey going, no, my name's Fred and I'm a cowboy. You know, it's like, <laughs> your maker knows who you are. You're, 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 who can tell you who you are? the one who made you and the one who redeemed you. Look in Romans chapter 1, verse 21. It says, For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. And their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. It's like there was, there was a, a depravity in their mindset and they began to think wrongly about who they were and their hearts became darkened and they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and they worshiped and served creative things rather than the creator but they neither gave thanks or glorified God as their creator. And it's okay to rejoice in God, your maker, that God made me and God knows who I am and God knows what my life is supposed to be. And I can live without resentment, but I can live with freedom. And so if you jump ahead to verse thir chapter 32 of Genesis, where we'll finish, so how do you receive the blessing? Now you're Jacob. So here's the story continuing in the story. Esau finds out about Jacob, what he did. And remember, Esau is a hunter. Esau is hairy. Esau is big. He's a man of war. He's a man of the field. Esau's, or Jacob's more of the business guy sitting in the tents with his mom working on stuff. And, and, and they're just different. And Esau says, I'm going to kill Jacob. And so his mom says, you got to get out of here. So she sends him to Laban, her brother, where he ends up marrying, ends up, I know this is a, the crazy part about the Bible in the Old Testament, and Ben, ben can sort it out for you later and explain it. Uh, <clears throat> but he ends up marrying two women and uh, two sisters, and through their maidservants actually has 12 children. So, and so Ben... I don't have time for it. I'd, I'd explain it to you, but, but, but Ben can just like tell you all about uh, the polygamy of uh, Isaac and Jacob, but, uh, or Jacob. But he ends up with all these children and flocks and herds, and he, he prospers over the years. And he ends up getting tricked by his father-in-law, and the deceiver is deceived, and he ends up having to leave. And with his entourages, he's going back home he hears word that his brother is coming with 400 soldiers. 
And the last he knew of Esau was Esau's going to kill me. So he takes his family and his wealth and his herds and everything, and he flocks and he splits them into two and he sends them different directions in the hopes that maybe one, one group will make it. So in Genesis 32, this is where we'll finish. That night, Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 sons. He crossed the ford of Shabbat, little stream or river. And after he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all of his possessions. So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. Isn't that a strange thing? So we call this a theophany in the Old Testament. Somehow God in human form manifests and shows up. Jacob's all alone now. Everything's stripped away. It's just him in the nighttime, and God shows up. And God doesn't sit down and go, hey, little camper, are you having a hard day? Uh, God shows up and picks a fight with him. God shows up, and literally, it's like God tackles him. So you're just sitting there minding your own business, and boom, you get tackled, and you start wrestling. And he's just wrestling with God in the night season. And this is why this matters. Identity is received, it's discovered, but you have to come to a place of brokenness before God. You have to come to a place of surrender. I'm not talking about a God who in a punitive way inflicts pain upon our lives, but a God who comes and saying, you're enslaved to a certain way of trusting in your own abilities and your own strengths and your own might, and it's robbing you of the fulfillment of everything you were destined to be. And so God comes and he says, your problem isn't with Esau. Your problem really isn't with yourself. Your problem is with me. We got to get this figured out, Jacob. And so they wrestle and they grapple and they kind of struggle together. And if you look in Hosea 12, it references this. It says, in the womb, he grasped his brother's heel. As a man, he struggled with God. As a man, he's struggling with God. And the struggle is this. Do you trust me, Jacob? That is always going to be our struggle. Do you trust God with your kids? Do you trust God with your future? Do you trust God with the school that you're trying to get into? Do you trust God with your, do you trust him? It always comes down to that. Or do I grasp that? Do I feel like I have to make it happen? And so in verse 25, after they were wrestling, it says, when the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. It's almost like you get the idea that this, person wrestling with Jacob is holding all of this power and restraint. It's kind of like when I would come home and my boys were little and I'd stand at the door before I walked in the door at night and I knew it was going to be game on the minute I stepped in that door. And I did, I'd open the door and here come the Nerf guns shooting at me and they come and tackling me and and I was like, should have had girls. And Until dinner time, it's just, <clears throat> it's just a wrestling, rowdy wrestling match on the living room floor until dinner with these little guys. Sandy would come in, and they're like, Mom, we're beating Dad, and they got me pinned down, and I'm like, oh, Joseph, you're so strong. Oh, Thomas, Thomas, oh, Sam, oh. But at any moment, if I wanted to, I could have stood up and just chucked him through the window. <laughs> like... <laughs> At any point, I could have done that. Uh, But they're like, we're pinning dad, we got him, and they think they're beating me. It's almost like God is saying, oh, Jacob, you're so strong. Oh, Jacob, you're so strong. It's like, oh, stop, 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 Jacob. It's like, then God goes, poof, and touches touches Jacob's hip. And all of a sudden, Jacob's like, "Uh uh-oh. 
This is, this is somebody different here. One little touch, and it's kind of like, hey, can you admit something here, Jacob? Could you admit that it's futile to just keep wrestling with me? You think you've got the upper hand, but you don't. And I love you too much to leave you in that place. And so I'm going to touch the place where you think you're the strongest, and it becomes a point of weakness because it's going to change how you walk. It's going to change the direction of your life. To get alone with God is a, it's kind of a fearful thing for a lot of people. We're afraid to be non-distracted, and so we keep our phone with us, or we keep ourselves busy. And sometimes one of the most important things we can do is just put all that aside, and it's just, okay, me and you, God. I'm going to stop fighting you. What do you want to say to me? Where, where do you want to put your touch? Where do I need to repent? What, what needs to be surrendered so that when the sun comes up, I can walk a different direction? I can walk and live a different life? And if you look in verse 26, the man said, let me go for it is daybreak. And Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. It's like, this is where the blessing comes. And he clutched to him and he said, no, 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 you can't go. If I'm going to be blessed, it's not because of me. I see the futility of that. You have to bless me. And the man asked him, now think about this. This is literally what it says. Don't go. You got to bless me. God looks at him and says, What's your name? What's your name? He says, I'm Jacob. I'm the heel grabber. I'm the one that's been manipulating. I'm the one who's been conniving. I've been the one who's trying to make things happen in my own strength and ability. That's an interesting response of God to Jacob. What's your name? He had to come clean. He had to just kind of put it out there just like, yeah, I'm Jacob. I'm that guy. And God looks at him and he says, your name no longer is Jacob. Your name is Israel. Because you struggled with God and have overcome. He's like, you know, that's what you did. That's how people named you. And that's how you behaved. And you lived into that identity. But I've known from the very beginning who you really are. And Jacob, I'll tell you your name. You're Israel. I had a tour guide in Israel once say that literally the Hebrew language Israel means God fights. It's like you're wrestled with God, but you've, God is really the one who is fighting for you, Jacob. And I'm going to be faithful to my promise. And, and so this blessing that is going to come was through the reception of a true identity of who he was really called to be. And I don't want to just change your situation. I don't want to just change your circumstances, but I want to change how you see yourself. I need you to see yourself as I see you, Jacob. That Jacob then in verse 29 says, please tell me your name. It's like, later on, I'm going to be limping. I'm going to have to tell the story around the campfire. You know, I got to like, who, who are you? Now, who do I tell people that is the guy that did this to me? And God said, um, why do you ask my name? And he blessed him there. 
So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, It's because I saw God face to face, yet my life was spared. God blessed him there. I want to finish by saying something really practical to us, but I hope it'll be our quest. Individually and corporately as families, do you believe that God before the foundations of the world knows your name? I'll tell you something I find fascinating to the church at Pergamum in Revelation chapter 2. God says, for those who have overcome, Jesus said, I will give that person a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to the one who received it. Isn't that going to be interesting? When you get to heaven, amongst many things that will happen, I don't know if this is literal, but it's like you'll give a little white stone and there's a name on it. Do you know the most common name in all of humanity is Maria or Mary? You know how many Marys are going to be in heaven? Randy is a terminal name. Nobody names their kid Randy anymore because of the Austin Power movies. It just ruined my name. Uh, but there's going to be some Randys in heaven, I would think, a lot of Randys in heaven. But so you imagine God up in heaven going, <clears throat> Mary. <clears throat> and about a zillion Marys go, yeah. <clears throat> I love you. I love you. <clears throat> Randy, a bunch of goobers like me, like, whoa. But what if God says, hey, Horkin, Forkin, Snorkin, or whatever it is like you say? <laughs> no one else. No one else is turning around. It's like, my name. I mean, God sees us as a whole, but he sees you. He received our worship corporately, but he saw your heart today in worship. We can only know what we observe outwardly, but God sees the heart. And the scripture talks about Jesus knows his sheep by name and they know his voice. Isaiah 43 says, this is what the Lord says, he who created you, Jacob, he who formed you, Israel, do not be afraid, I have redeemed you. Listen, I have called you by name. I've called you by name. People would think, well, do I have a birthright? Yeah, you have a birthright. And it's found in Ephesians chapter 1, 3, and I'd encourage you to read this this week. But praise be to the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us. In the past tense, it's right here, already done. He has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Jesus Christ. A few years ago, I was in Israel, and uh, every two years, we would take a kind of a study tour group. And the way most tours work is that there's, uh, you finish the last day on the Mount of Olives. So usually, all tours start in the Galilee, and they kind of work the life of Jesus all the way through. And you go then to the south, and you end up in Jerusalem as the last part of your tour. And the last morning is you're up at the Mount of Olives and you work your way down to the Garden of Gethsemane, then through the Kidron Valley and into the, you go kind of the stations of the cross and you always end up at a garden tomb where you have communion. And that's how most tours end. And so 
we're up on the last day and there's our group up there and we had a morning devotional and there's a lot of people. It's a busy place. It's where there's a lot of things being sold and people are hustling and selling, marketing stuff. And there's a lot of tour buses up there, a lot of people. And it's that iconic view into the, over the walls of Jerusalem. So I was, our group was like, you can get a ride to, sitting on a camel and, you know, all the things are going on. And so people are taking pictures and we have a few minutes before we start walking down to the Garden of Gethsemane. And so I'm standing off to the side and I look over next to me and there's this little boy and I go, hey, what's your name? And he said, my name is Wasim. And I said, Wasim, how old are you? And he said, I'm 11, but tomorrow's my birthday and I'm going to be 12. And I went, no way. Wasim, my son Thomas is 11 years old and tomorrow's his birthday and he's going to be 12. True story. I said, I'm going to get on a plane tonight, and because of the way the time changes work and everything, I'm going to actually be home when he wakes up on his birthday. And so I reached into my pocket, and I pulled out this 20-shekel bill, like 20 shekels, which was the rate of exchange at the time was about four American dollars. And I handed it to him. Now, he's selling bookmarks. He's a little Arab-Israeli, uh, and he's, he's selling 10 bookmarks for one shekel. And I hand him 20 shekels. And I said, hey, buddy, tomorrow on your birthday, go get yourself a little treat. Just have a happy birthday. And he looked at me, and he looked at the shackles, he looked at me, and then took off running. <laughs> and he went running up to where the buses were, and he starts talking to this older man. And I went, oh, no, because they turn and they look at me. And I went, did I do something culturally inappropriate? Did I fall for the old, it's my birthday story? Uh, <laughs> But, but this, this man and this boy come walking to me, and you see him in the picture here. And he walks up to me and he says, did you give my son 20 shekels? And I said, yes, sir, I did. Um, it's his birthday tomorrow, and I just wanted to bless him on his birthday. And he said, hold out your hand. And so I held out my hand, and he put this little coin in my hand, and he said, do you know what that is? And I said, yes, because Honestly, every time I go to Israel, there's, I'd pick one or two things I wanted to shop for and get is teaching aids. And so that trip, I wanted to buy a widow's mite. So I'd been shopping widow's mites, and that afternoon in Jerusalem, when we had some time off, I'd picked one out I was going to buy. And so I could tell the grades of them, and I go, yeah, that's a, a widow's mite coin. Found out he's an antiquities dealer in Jerusalem, a licensed antiquities dealer. I said, and I could tell from the quality of it, it was probably worth about 90 to $100 U.S., so I said, that's a, that's a great coin. And I, I went to hand it back and he went like this and he wrapped my hand around it. And he says, that's for you. And I go, oh no, I can't keep this. I, I said, I gave you some four bucks. You know, this is like worth a worth hundred bucks. And he looked at me and he's not a believer. He's a Israeli, uh, Arab or Israeli, he's a Muslim man. And he looked at me in the eye and he said these words, you blessed my son, so I bless you. And I heard the Lord say in that moment, Randy, if you honor my son, I will honor you. It's what God is saying in Ephesians. The word says to us that all the riches of God have been located in the person of Jesus for us. To come to Jesus is to come to the full inheritance of everything that God has purposed for you. That's the place of blessing who I am in Christ and who Christ is in me. It's Christ in you that is the hope of glory. If there's any hope for any glory in your life, it's because of Jesus in you. 
All that God has purposed for us in the blessing of Abraham has been realized and fulfilled in the death and resurrection of Jesus, and God's provision for us is in Christ. And as I come to him, that's who I am. When the world says, conform to this, or look like that, or capitulate to that, or take on that, and I look to Jesus, and I look in the face of Christ, and I know who I am, and I know what God has made possible for me. And I want you to bow your head with me, if you would, and I want to pray the simple prayer that as the people of God, we would walk in the blessing of God. Not just material blessing, it certainly could include that, but it's so much more than that. It's a secure sense of sonship and daughtership. It's a secure sense of just knowing that you're loved by the Father. It's a secure sense of God has you in his line of sight, and he's done everything necessary for us to be secure in an identity and bestowed and endowed with a power to walk out the purpose that he made you consistent with what he created you for. That he created you unto something. And he says, I call you that. And we can rejoice in that because it's all under the Father's glory in the end. And so today, if you've never said yes to Jesus, I want to encourage you to do that. If you never opened your heart to receive what God has done for you in Christ, would you open your heart to do that today? That's the beginning point. And maybe this week of Thanksgiving, as odd as it may feel, could you rejoice in God as your maker, in God as your creator, in Jesus as your redeemer? He did not do something accidentally. You are an expression of his creative genius. And that's not about arrogance or self-focused, narcissistic kind of living. It's just freedom. I don't have to be who I'm not. I can be who I am. And that brings joy to my father's heart. Would you just open your hands before you? And I want to just pray this over you. In the name of Jesus, I bless you with the promises of God, which are yes and amen. May the Holy Spirit make you healthy and strong in body, mind, and spirit that you might move in faith and expectancy. And may God's angels be with you and protect you and keep you. May you be blessed with supernatural strength to turn your eyes from the foolish and worthless and evil things. And instead, may you behold the beauty of the Lord and perceive the things that God has planned for you as you walk in obedience to his word. I bless your ears to hear the lovely, the uplifting, and the encouraging, and to tune out the demeaning and the destructive. May your feet walk in holiness and your steps be ordered by the Lord. May your hands be tender, helping hands to those in need, hands that bless. May your heart be humble and receptive to one another and to the things of God and not of this world. And may your mind be strong and disciplined and balanced and full of faith. May God's grace be upon your home. May it be a sanctuary of rest and renewal, a haven of peace where sounds of joy and laughter grace its walls, where love and unconditional acceptance of one another is consistent. May God give you success and prosperity in your businesses and places of labor as you acknowledge and put him first in every area. And may God give you spiritual strength to overcome the evil one and avoid temptation. May God's grace be upon you to fulfill your dreams and visions that he has placed in your heart. May goodness and mercy follow you all the days of your life. And may the Lord bless you. And may the Lord keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift his countenance upon you and always give you peace. I bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Thanks for listening today. Pastor Ben's mission is to equip the church to impact the world. If you want to get connected, check the show notes and visit bendixon.org. From there, you can learn about Pastor Ben's other podcasts, the books he has written, Ignite Global Ministries, and the online Immersion Discipleship School. Thank you.